This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel 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 it. Joining us at this time to unpack this further is Mr. McThomas Ntuli, someone who has the distinction of not only living over the course of this pandemic, but doing so while suffering from diabetes. Mr. Ntuli, thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID report. Could you please start by taking us through, um, telling us about your condition and how you've been managing to live with it during this pandemic? Well, can I please start by saying that thank you for having me game uh, on this platform. And yeah, well, with diabetes, uh, there are two types of diabetes. I uh, will start there and then uh, there's type one and type two. And then for me, I've been living with type one for quite some time now. It's been a couple of years. And then now with this year being a pandemic year whereby uh, we've got this thing, uh, that we all know of coronavirus. It's been quite a challenging one, I'll say, as a person that is living with diabetes, in a sense that uh, you are forever wary of the environment that you are in because, like, uh, with the things that are out there, what we know, at least from corona, is that it's also airborne. So you will never know when you may contract it and so forth. So you always try to keep yourself protected. I know with myself, with the lockdown having been implemented in South Africa, I was the one of the people that were very displayed within that space whereby I had to make sure that, yeah, I try to avoid unnecessary movement. I'll only leave my house whenever there's a need to and so forth. And then whenever I'll come back home, I made sure. I remember the first time I had to go out actually to the clinic actually for a checkup or to get my, my medication uh, in coming back it was one of the situations that even with the clothes that you're wearing at that point you feel uncomfortable that you want you put them in a laundry make sure that they're washed and then yeah before you can put them on again and then change yourself change into something else rather than uh, continuing uh, running around the house with the same clothes that you are with or that you had on while you were outside. So it's been a, quite a challenging one, especially with me being a person that's always been in the space, you know, moving from one point to another. And right now, having to confine myself within a very limited spaces, uh, for example, say my house, and then trying to limit my movements as much as possible, and then making sure that uh, I, I abide to all the conditions and the restrictions that have been implemented uh, by the government in trying to have us protected as a nation. So when you're living with diabetes, in my part, it's been a thing that uh, since uh, I'm one of the most vulnerable people uh, out there when it comes to this corona pandemic, I had to make sure that I follow each and everything to avoid being in a situation where I end up contracting the virus. Indeed, and you just alluded to it now, and it serves as a great segue to my next question. In this climate of restricted movement, obeying regulations, regulations impeding um, essential movement in many instances, and also everything we've covered here on the COVID report about how stretched medical personnel and medical resources were, especially during the early parts of the lockdown. Did this in any way infect your ability to 
access uh, your medication or access uh, the clinic for your regular checkups? And how has that process played out over the course of the pandemic? Well, for me, I don't have a medical aid first. So where I'd get my medication or where I'd attend for checkups with diabetes, I'd go to a public hospital. And then with that, ever since the lockdown has been implemented, uh, one of the things that the hospital I attend to did was, for example, trying to avoid that we visit the clinic or the hospital on a regular by giving us a medication that will last us for a while. Let's say being two months, being three months, depending, you know, on how much stock they also have on their end because they wouldn't want to supply us, let's say, for a year and then them ending up not having stock at the end of the day for the next patients that may come in. So that's one of the things that they did. And then, uh, so that, like I've just mentioned, to avoid us visiting the hospital on a regular. And then uh, in terms of visiting the, or going for checkup with the doctor as such, uh, that has been the same. It's like the doctors have also been limited with the clinic that I visit or the hospital that I visit. And then uh, what happened is that I would go for, ever since the lockdown actually, I wanna say that I have only went once whereby I had to see a doctor. Whereas with the other times that I've went there, it's just merely being a situation where I just come in, collect my medication and then leave the premises of which I would say that <laughs> I understand them implementing a situation of us not visiting the hospital on a regular because with the pandemic having been on the rise at that time and still on the rise even within uh, this time, is that in a situation like, or environment like the hospital, for someone like myself, it's a very uncomfortable one, whereby, yeah, you forever are cautious end up just simply contracting the virus due to whatever things that may be going on there but then that is just me maybe being a little bit uh, uh, anxious and, and paranoid but then yeah that's been the situation with me trying to visit the hospitals so now, Matt Thomas, being that you yourself are still young, still in your 30s as a young South African man, and those older are the ones who are the most at risk of developing severe complications with the coronavirus, how has this made you feel about managing your diabetes amidst the fears of contracting COVID-19? And how would you, how would you measure your fear versus that of um, someone older than you who might also um, be experiencing or living with type 1 diabetes like yourself or type 2 diabetes and the, the anxieties that I'm sure come with that as well. I'm curious about the juxtaposition being that you are much younger than some of the other people that are much more at risk. I don't know about me being young places me less in, in a space where I'm not at risk than a person who's older but then uh, what I know is that with myself, for example, I've tried to sort of like do take some of the things that I have been advised or been told, such as like certain concoctions that may help with your immune systems and all of that, so that I try to help myself uh, healthy at all times. And then even with the diet and everything else that I usually have to be 
cognizant of the, despite being in the pandemic era is that I've just been keeping up with that so that I make sure that uh, my health uh, is, is on point and then trying to avoid any unnecessary complications that I may face if I were, for example, to contract the virus. So uh, that's what I have been doing in my case to try and make sure that I, I stay healthy at all times. Now that we're on lockdown level one, and most people are using the opportunity given by us being at lockdown level one to go out and attend events, go out and have fun, go out and do things that they weren't necessarily able to do in the heights of the lockdown here in the country, and how all of this this degree of freedom that has been afforded to us has stoked the flames of fears of the second wave. What would you say is most concerning for you as far as our chances of a second wave coming in South Africa, our level of readiness as far as the the medical systems in place to help uh, take in patients and help uh, treat uh, those who um, who get sick? Where would, what would you say is the most concerning thing for you in this period of time right now? Okay, what I can say is that... Uh... In my view, first of all, with uh, the pandemic having to have hit us, South Africa was one of those countries, I'll say, that were never ready for this uh, because of how our medical industry has been set up, set up prior to the pandemic. So we were never ready for such a situation whereby if, like, we had, uh, the, if the hospitals and the clinics and everything else that had been, that is concerning the medical practice was to be hit by such a situation right now the thing is that what's happening with being in on, on level one people are sort of like are living their best life in the sense that uh, they're sort of like are no longer paying attention to all the necessary precautions that they need to pay attention to in order for them to avoid contracting the virus still you know so we're living in in a space or in a way whereby we act as though the virus no longer exists. So that's one of my major fears right now, especially now with the talks of the second wave of the virus actually uh, being on the way. So I feel like uh, with situation whereby we have events uh, that can accommodate quite a significant number of people, those type of events for me, at least from what I've seen, is that they never really pay attention to all the regulations and all the precautious measures that need to be in place in order to have the people that are in the space to be safe. So I feel like soon we will be in a space whereby with the second wave, a lot of people especially young people would have suffered from this or would have contracted this because of uh, situations such as going to events and all of that. So finally for me, Mac Thomas, in light of everything we've just covered about the looming threat of the second wave, as a two-handed question to conclude our discussion, part one of my question, do you believe this has prompted you to take more precaution against COVID-19, being that you live with the condition that you live with, than perhaps the next person and the amount of precaution they have had to take to take care of themselves against this virus? And do you think 
this sets us up for a post-coronavirus world. Do you think we will get there? And what do you take? What do you think it's going to take from everyone putting in the effort to fight this virus for us to get to that point where COVID-19 is a thing of the past? Thank you very much for your question, Game. Uh, in my opinion, yes, uh, we will get to a space whereby or to a period whereby Corona is a thing of the past. And then I uh, base my reason based on history because like this is not uh, the first pandemic to ever hit the world. There've been other pandemics before, but then this one is just happens that it affected the world to a larger scale than the others, I'll say. And no other pandemic has ever hit the world like this one has, or if there, if there are, Others, uh, they're quite few and and, uh, and limited. But then at the end of it is that we will get to a point whereby uh, we're living in a post-COVID-19 uh, period in life. And in order for all, everybody or for the world to get there, I think that uh, it will quite be, a, it will be a challenging one, first of all. It's going to be a challenging one before we can even get there because like, uh, the reality of it is that uh, with individuals out there in the world, not, not all of us understand or uh, see this from the same point of view, from the same light, you know. Uh, for me, for example, with a person that is living with diabetes, I may be cautious in everything when it comes to the when it comes to COVID-19. I may be mindful of uh, sanitizing my hands every once in a while, of making sure that I have my mask on in order for me to limit the spread of the virus. But then that may not necessarily be the case with the next person, you know? So with that being the situation of being a thing, it sort of like places us in a difficult uh, space as the world. For, for whereby we can be in a space whereby we're living post covid so it makes the whole pandemic to stretch longer than it's supposed to be in a way whereby if the pandemic was supposed to be a thing that can only be for a year or two years now we are in will be in the space whereby it stretches for longer than that uh, depending so in order for everybody to in order for the world to live past this i think it's only based on individuals to take all the precautions when it comes to COVID-19 in order for them to be mindful of all the things that they need to do that are necessary in order for us to eventually be in a space whereby uh, we no longer are affected by the virus. And then it also needs the superpowers of the other countries. Uh, it also needs the support of the other countries that have got the resources, actually. That's what I want to say and all that can help us fight the spread of the of COVID-19, either being financial resources or whatever the case may be, in order, for example, to support the medical industry to get whatever it is that we need that can limit the spread of the virus, such as a vaccine or something like that. So I think we all need to speak from one voice as the world in order for us to have the spread uh, of the COVID-19 phasing out. But then at this point, I think everybody is much aware that not everybody in the world, being people in higher places, being the ordinary person on the streets, 
Not everybody is speaking from the same voice when it comes to this. Not everybody understands COVID-19 from the same perspective uh, and all of that. So I think because of such, it will take us a little bit of a while for us to get to a period where we live in post COVID-19. But then for us to get there, uh, it's something that is eventual. Uh, it will eventually happen. So we will get to that point. But then as for now, that point may still be a mile away. Cautious optimism from our guest here on the COVID report at this time, Mr. McThomas Ndouli. And he's just joined us here on the show to talk us through his experiences of living with type 1 diabetes during COVID-19 pandemic and the ways in which these circumstances have prompted him to take extra precaution to protect himself from possibly contracting the virus. McThomas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the insight into your day-to-day experience. We will switch the gears and talk about those living with tuberculosis. The COVID-19 response is largely built on existing infrastructure, a wealth of scientific and medical expertise and community mobilization to control the dual HIV and tuberculosis epidemics. Joining us on the COVID report at this time is the wellness coordinator for Santa, Mr. Sian Maporoma, to unpack for us the work that they do with Santa. Mr. Maporoma, thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID report. Could you please start by telling us what Santa is all about and what type of programs you offer? Um, Santa is a TB organization. Uh, it obviously tap into HIV and with this new pandemic, we're also tapping into uh, COVID-19 and looking at how best we can manage uh, these cases. Very straightforward stuff. Can you take me through the sort of support and services that you offer vulnerable groups in South Africa? And more importantly, what sort of new sort of services have you found yourself having to provide over the course of this pandemic in particular? Uh, what we do is we take care of people who are infected with TB. We also take care of people who are affected by TB in case of uh, making sure that they've got nutrition at all times. They take their medication at all times. Uh, what we had to do during this pandemic is that we were distributing uh, food parcels in in the in the KwaZulu Natal province, and we have, have been active in the province of Gauteng, making sure that everyone that is infected with HIV, infected with TB, are given medication and are in these trying times. And can you also please take me through how your role? at Santa has changed during this uh, time of the COVID-19 lockdown and the pandemic, if it's changed at all? Uh, but we had to tap into making sure that our, um, our infected client are getting nutrition. We had to make sure that we support them. Remember that um, some of our clients depend entirely on their wealth, I mean, on their health, making sure that they, they uh, go out, get some food, or maybe they run a spaza shop or some sort of those things. But it, during these times, they were unable to do that. And at some point, they had to take medication on an empty stomach. So in that case, we had to tap in and make sure that we mobilize nutrition for all those infected and affected by TB. And we did that well and making sure that those who are not uh, who did not get results were liaised with and making sure that they get their result on time and making sure that they are referred to the hospitals and the clinics that are around them. Insightful stuff. Now, much of the chatter at the very beginning of this 
period of lockdown, these tricky, unprecedented, uncertain times. A lot of the chat at the very beginning of this centered around um, South Africa needing to undergo a lockdown to make sure that we've got emergency medical services on the ready for people who unfortunately contract the virus or are infected by the virus and need medical attention. Do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has piled on pressure on a health system that is already dealing with tuberculosis and HIV AIDS? Um, That is true. Like, um, uh, the, 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 the situation in South Africa had to change. The, the, the scenario of, of health system, uh, the scenario of taking care of patients had to change completely. Like, for instance, uh, people needed to be encouraged to go to the clinics, which at that time, no mobility was available. And um, with, the, with, the, with the resources that are given in the clinics, uh, I've been in few clinics and it's just been a few, I mean, a challenge in making sure, remember, we have chronic uh, patients that take that depend on medication for daily survival. Even if it's not TB, it could be diabetes, it could be other things, but they depend entirely on on, on treatment. In those cases, I think, um, in my opinion, our government was so much under pressure. Our government was dealing with stress and our government was in serious uh, uh, need. Indeed, they were. I'm curious, though, and, and, and especially from your perspective, have these shifts and this difficulty that we've just uh, referred to that our health uh, system providers um, had and the assistance they needed to weather the COVID-19 storm, do you think the urgency of the need to address COVID-19, the urgency to address um, infected patients who show up to clinics and show up to hospitals needing uh, medical assistance, do you think all of this has resulted in an inadvertent deprioritization of TB? Has TB flown under the radar, so to speak, just because of how of how immediate and how urgent COVID-19 is at the top of the agenda, not just here in South Africa, but everywhere else across the world. And has this delayed diagnosis of TB and treatment of TB for other patients, TB patients in particular, who need medical assistance? Um, yes, uh, it has been quite, quite uh, 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 problematic. Uh, I've got two, I mean, three um, areas where TB was affected. It was in uh, testing where people were not actually tested at that time when when, when COVID was still uh, high. People were not uh, tested. I think um, the state went down to 48% uh, in, in, in new cases, So, which, which means that there were people in the, in the communities that were not tested. Uh, there were people in the communities that were sick and still spreading the TB germ. And then in terms of, of, of treatment, yes, there are areas in, 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 in Houding, there are areas in, in other provinces where because of the restriction of movement, people were unable to go and get their treatment. And um, the other cases will be in other uh, clinics, uh, there were shortages of medication. Even if um, the department tried to give them alternative uh, drugs, but you remember that every drug has got its own I mean, side effects. So people had to go and deal with new side effects. But uh, all in all, uh, I think our government did their best. Our government responded on time. And uh, I think, let me just say, our communities did their best as well. Even if at some point we were losing it, at some point our government had their flaws. But at the end of the day, we managed TB, we managed uh, uh, COVID-19. And I think we, at the end of the day, we will emerge winners. 
Indeed, we will. Now, the case definition of COVID-19 has evolved and broadened since the onset of the pandemic. I remember the chatter around uh, COVID-19 not be um, transmitted in airborne uh, patterns. And this may overlap considerably with pulmonary TB symptoms. How does that make it more challenging for healthcare workers to be able to split the difference between patients who come in with COVID-19 symptoms and patients who come in with TB symptoms in the, in the, in, in the interests of making sure that these two issues don't overlap when resources are still a, 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 a topic of concern and a topic of, of constraint? Um, among the health workers that are helping us fight this pandemic, TB is 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 it's more it's more like um, let me say it's more it it was treated at this time it was treated like a secondary factor. So when you present with these uh, symptoms like uh, uh, coughing, uh, um, losing weight and losing taste and all those things, you were taken to uh, you were tested for for COVID. And then if you were found not to have COVID, that's when they test you for other uh, diseases like TB and other pulmonary diseases. So, Mr. Maporoma, the case definition of COVID-19 has evolved and broadened since the onset of the pandemic and may overlap considerably with pulmonary TB symptoms. I'm thinking of situations where TB patients come into the clinic and the hospital to uh, seek medical assistance because of the symptoms that they're experiencing versus the same story for COVID-19 patients. How do um, healthcare workers go about navigating the challenge of distinguishing between the two in resource constrained settings like like these how do they go about treating the tb patients and the covid-19 patients in a way that one isn't compromised by the other due to the lack of resources looking at at, at these two diseases their 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 symptoms are almost the same so what happens is that we we remember at the beginning of of this pandemic our our president advised that if you present with these symptoms, you should bypass the, the clinic and go straight into into hospital where you'll be tested for, 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 for COVID-19. In that case, people were tested for COVID-19. And then if they were found to be COVID-19 free, that's when they'll be transferred to a, a normal primary health care where they'll be tested for TB. Very insightful stuff. Thank you very much for that. Now, as far as the stigmas, that are attached, well, that were attached, certainly at the very beginning bits of the lockdown, the stigmas that were attached to uh, COVID-19 and the ways in which uh, this stigma could possibly uh, extend to TB uh, patients. The rapid spread of COVID-19 has triggered a social stigma and discrimination towards people believed to have been in contact with the virus. So because the symptoms of COVID-19 and TB bear so many similarities. How has h- how have we gone about stopping the stigma being extended to TB patients? I, I, I am not sure if if at the at the moment we should call it a stigma. Uh, because at the at the moment, um when 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 someone around you is infected with um or is presenting with this science, we obviously think of of, of COVID-19. And our 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 the advice that we got from our medical practitioners is that if if you're infected with COVID-19, you should isolate, you should all do all those, you should quarantine, 
and you should be um, uh, uh, far from your immediate contact or far from the household. So I, at the moment, I, I, I'm not sure if we should call it uh, uh, a stigma, but uh, with TB, yes, TB has been, I mean, people who were infected with TB has been struggling with stigma. They've been isolated and some of them will, were neglected. Remember, some of them are very sick. So families will refuse to assist them in those. We, we had those cases that, that are similar to that. But at this stage, uh, let's not yet call it a stigma. Maybe let's call it an isolation. And until we know exactly how to deal with this pandemic, we can now try to, um, I mean, come in hands with it and, and, and be around those people who are infected. Maybe uh, the cure that is coming will, will contain the gem until people are cured. In terms of the potential for a lack of awareness around this virus, a lack of awareness around this pandemic to possibly fuel uh, discrimination and disrupt social unity, cause isolation, as you, have just, um, as you have just alluded to. Could this then potentially hinder effective public health interventions? And is it therefore important to establish reliable health services and strategies that prioritize care for both COVID-19 and TB patients? Uh, yes, I think, um, remember all these diseases, they came like uh, how COVID-19 joined them all. But um, it, 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 is, it has been a wake-up call for, for, for individuals, for the government and for everybody else that, you know, we, we really are in a serious need of, I mean, of um, a well-formed uh, health system. So in, 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 in my answer in short is that Yes, we need we need we need to look into health. We need to our government need to do more and make sure that our health system is at par and our health system can also accommodate COVID nineteen as a new disease and also not neglecting all those other diseases that were there like TB, HIV, and 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 sugar diabetes. Great segue into my final question for you, Mr. Maporoma. How can South Africa, in your opinion, use this opportunity to um, transform the TB and HIV AIDS response here in South Africa, due in part to the ways in which this pandemic has revealed to us the very um, important areas of our health system that we need to improve on, the things of our systems we need to change? How can we use this opportunity to transform um, our response as a country to TB and HIV AIDS? Uh, there are areas, yes, that we need to, to, to um, keep up a bit, like in terms of um, awareness, in terms of making sure that our testing accommodates um, COVID-19 and uh, maybe a rapid response in terms of, of COVID-19. And making sure that um, everyone is informed of all these uh, three diseases and how they can manage that and where they need to go if they find to 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 be dealing with um, um, signs and symptoms of these uh, two, I mean, three diseases. We've just been joined by Mr. Sian Maporoma, Wellness Coordinator for the South African National Tuberculosis Association, to talk us through the experience of those living with tuberculosis and how they've had to take extra precaution to protect themselves this pandemic. We were also joined by Mr. McThomas, who has the distinction of living with type 1 diabetes, and he talked us through the experience of living with diabetes during this pandemic. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vets. By Voice of Vets. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or streams via www.varfm.co.za.